You're listening to a 3CR podcast at 3cr.org.au. 3CR is an independent community radio station with a commitment to radical social change, and we need your support to keep going. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate to donate to our June station appeal. And thanks for keeping truly independent, community-owned media alive. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Nikki Stott. I'd like to pay my respects to country and to all the elders past and present who've been part of the struggle for so long for sovereignty and self-determination. So the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has now confirmed that we urgently need to keep global warming below the 1.5 degree threshold. And the only sure way to achieve this sustainably is a rapid transition away from fossil fuels. And the time window for that is shrinking rapidly. Meanwhile, in neoliberal la-la land, an Australian geoengineering research team is conducting open-air tests on the Great Barrier Reef using a technique known as cloud brightening. And they're spinning it as a techno fix for the coral bleaching disaster caused by global warming. These tests are part of a $326 million project funded by the research sector, state and federal governments, and a bunch of corporate sponsors including BHP, Rio Tinto, Orica, Boeing and Qantas. Critics claim the project is a giant fossil fuel sector spin, promoting false solutions to climate change and business as usual. Climate geoengineering remains a highly risky and unproven technology with unknown feedback effects that could easily result in further disruption of the global climate, causing floods and droughts, killing marine life, impacting key forest ecosystems and damaging the ozone layer. The tests contravene a number of UN and other transnational conventions and moratoriums that Australia is signatory to and free prior and informed consent of all of the correct authorities from the more than 70 separate groups of First Peoples with sovereign jurisdiction over the Great Barrier Reef has also not been obtained. Today on Earth Matters, we'll hear from Louise Sales, the coordinator of Friends of the Earth's Emerging Tech Project, and Sylvia Ribeiro, who is a Latin American director at the International Tech Watch Organization, etc. group, and their spokesperson on geoengineering. Can we start off by talking just a bit about what the 2010 UN Convention on Biodiversity was and the moratorium on geoengineering that came out of that? Well, geoengineering is the technological climate manipulation, intentional manipulation of climate, and it has been proposed as a way of manage some of the symptoms, not the causes of climate change. There are two sets of Technologies propose some to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, and the other set of technologies is to reflect back part of the sunlight so it's, it gets cooler. What happened is that all these technologies, if they were to be deployed at the scale needed to really produce any change on the climate, they will have a lot of secondary effects and negative impacts and many of them not on the place where they are done. So because of that, the Convention on Biological Diversity in 2010 called for 
countries to not do any geoengineering activities before it's clear what the risks are, and it has been discussion at social level and informed consultation if society. Australia is definitely part of the Convention on Biological Diversity. One of the most important things is that it's a call to not deploy geoengineering before there is a global multilateral governance mechanism. Because one main problem with geoengineering is that it can have, and it probably will have, negative effects on other countries, on other regions, powerful countries that have the means and the technologies to start doing them, and then the other countries has to suffer the consequences. So because of that, it's extremely important that there is an agreement at global level how to handle these technologies. So my understanding is that there's a geoengineering research team from Southern Cross Uni in partnership with the Sydney Institute of Marine Science, Um, who are a research centre administered by Uni of New South Wales. And they've been working on a project to trial cloud brightening technology. And they say it's aimed at protecting the Great Barrier Reef from coral bleaching. And in March this year, they did their first test off the coast of Townsville on the reef. Can you explain what marine cloud brightening actually is and what this specific test back in March involved? In this case, what they're doing is spraying particles of sea spray up into the atmosphere to try and brighten the clouds that are are there. So the theory behind it is that the clouds will reflect more sunlight back into the the atmosphere so that will have a cooling effect on the reef. The research is saying this is potentially a good solution to a really desperate problem, which is the coral bleaching caused primarily by global warming. Can you explain for listeners what the concerns are with just making a few extra clouds to cool down the water around the reef? We simply don't know what the environmental impacts associated with it might be. Um, So it might sound fairly benign spraying salt spray into the atmosphere, but they're wanting to dramatically scale up these experiments in the coming years. For example, yeah, there was a study in 2009 that looked at cloud brightening experiments. it models what their potential impacts could be. And the effects can vary quite dramatically locally. So they can, for example, result in increased rainfall or decreased rainfall. They can actually result in increased temperatures in local areas. And we simply don't know what the implications could be for the Great Barrier Reef and for the tropical wetlands that surround the Great Barrier Reef on the mainland. So, yeah, it's just a really dangerous experiment with an environment that's already threatened and modelling by scientists have shown that this could actually affect rainfall. So, for example, some scientists looked at potential cloud brightening experiments in California and concluded that it could actually lead to reduced rainfall in the Amazon, which could actually be counterproductive and obviously result in a net increase in carbon emissions because of those forests suffering. I mean, there's a few possible scenarios. Another one is that it just won't work at all. And we've basically wasted all that money and that time, which could have actually been invested in proven solutions to climate change, like renewable energy. So I guess the main point is that we don't we don't really know what the impacts of this could be. And yet they're conducting this uncontrolled experiment in our environment on our Great Barrier Reef. So they've got more testing planned here for over the next four years when we're talking about the potential for environmental harm, what could happen in the long term? 
there are two potential <laughs> ways for environmental harm. One is say that they really deploy this experiment over the coral reef, but they haven't done anything about the other causes. So the destruction will continue. But it's not only that, it's also that in the case of marine cloud brightening, as in the case of other solar radiation management, geoengineering technologies, they attempt to lower the temperature. And if they succeed at any larger scale, they will modify the precipitation, that is the rain and even other conditions in other parts of the world. So for instance, in the studies that were done for the proposal that were not in Australia, but in other parts of the world, if done at a scale, they will also produce droughts in the Amazon. What we need to understand here is that when you try to modify the climate, the climate is a global, extremely dynamic and complex system that is not very well understood. The issue is that the experiment is done to see if this can be deployed at larger scale. And it, if the experiment is done in Australia, it will be used by others, like, for instance, the projects in California, as a way of saying that th this has already been done and we can go to larger experiments. So that is why it is so important. What are the implications? Because this is not about experiment. This is about the starting of a very large project of modifying the climate with technological means, with a lot of unknowns on environment at regional level, but particularly could be even in, on other places and other countries even. Absolutely. And so when we're talking about the Amazon, of course, is like a, one of the most significant rainforest systems in the world, if not the most significant. So it's not hard for even someone who's not a scientist like me to imagine how bad a drought would be there in terms of the environmental impacts. And then, of course, as so many indigenous groups and farmers and whatever in that area. So when we're talking about the global south in poor countries, we're talking about some really serious impacts there that can really affect people's chance of survival. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I haven't seen studies of what would happen if this project would be done at a larger scale, particularly in Australia, where will the impacts be? But I was mentioning these other studies that are not, they are not, they, they are done outside the coast of the Pacific coast of the Americas uh, or even in parts of Africa. But this is an indicative of what could happen uh, mm. in, other, in other places. Many of these powerful countries that have the resources and the money to do this kind of projects, they are also among the largest emitters of greenhouse gas emissions. So they are particularly interested in developing technologies instead of changing the industry in these countries. But as you said, I mean, this could have consequences. It could be changing the weather and the climate in other parts of the world. And it could, of course, lead to refugees and many other things. And so for researchers, there's big money to be made and professional reputations to be forged, I would imagine. And for marine industries, there's also big money to be made in manufacturing and services contracting. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually more sinister than that. If you actually look at the corporate partners um, for the um, Great Barrier Reef Foundation, they're companies like BHP, Boeing, Qantas, Rio Tinto. So basically companies that don't want us to reduce carbon emissions. 
So for the next phase of the project, it's a $326 million project, this whole restoration project. And obviously the marine cloud brightening is just one component of it, although yeah, quite a big component of it. And they're getting $100 million from the federal government, $100 million from industry, and, and I believe the research institutions are kicking in the balance of the funding. So it's a lot of money that we're talking about for a technology that there's no guarantee that will work when we've already got proven solutions to climate change. We've just not got the political will from government to implement them. They've got a lot to gain from these potential false solution projects such as this one and um, it basically feeds the whole narrative that we can just continue with business as usual and um, flying around the world and digging up coal and exporting it and still protect the Great Barrier Reef which we think is a really dangerous narrative. So it's ultimately just a massively expensive spin exercise. And one that could have potentially dangerous climate implications. The extraction and exploitation and overuse of fossil fuels. That is the problem. Even for the coral reef, the problem is not only the temperature, there is also ocean acidification is one of the main problems or coastal pollution for industry. It's very convenient to have a technology to fix problems that derive from climate change so they can continue with air polluting activities without questioning them. And at the same time, maybe do a new business with these technologies like marine cloud brightening. Marine cloud brightening was started in the US with a fund that was funded by Bill Gates. But also there was this kind of interest. If they could function, they can be made as a new business. But the most important thing is that they do not have to reduce the exploitation of fossil fuels, mining, and so, so definitely there is a connection to industry. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Over 190 countries, including Australia, have agreed to a 210 UN ban on large-scale climate engineering technology due to safety and environmental concerns. However, an Australian research team who are being bankrolled by the fossil fuels industry are currently conducting open-air tests on the Great Barrier Reef using a geoengineering technique known as cloud brightening, and they're spinning it as a techno-fix to the impacts of climate change. Today on the show, we're speaking with Louise Sales from Friends of the Earth's Emerging Tech Project and Sylvia Ribeiro from the International Tech Watch Organisation Etc. Group. And they're both arguing that this technology is a false solution that's way more likely to lead to a global catastrophe than solve our climate change problems. One of the primary concerns with geoengineering is who would be responsible and accountable for controlling the use of a technology that has the potential to drastically impact all life on Earth. The militarization and weaponizing of these kinds of technology has been going on for decades. During the Vietnam War, for instance, the US military's Operation Popeye used cloud seeding to extend the monsoon and hinder the North Vietnamese resistance. 
there is a historian, an American historian, James Fleming, that has written a book about you know manipulating the sky as a as a military as a military endeavor. That you know is something that military always has had since not always, but in the last decades uh, that started with um, rain manipulation, like you know to make it rain or take out rain, like cloud seeding, which is is done in Australia and in many other parts today uh, commercially, like you know like uh, seed to seed clouds uh, to to make them rain or to take them away and um, it is kind of uh, interesting that the people from this project they say that because Australia has been doing cloud seeding for many many years it doesn't really matter but the, the issue is that the international the World Meteorological Organization has reports from different countries where they use these techniques and it is causing problems at regional level at the very least. Geoengineering has this military origin. It was with military purposes. It was the U.S. had a project called the uh, Popeye project that they did in Vietnam to make rain uh, during long time so they would flood the, the roads. Apparently, the project didn't really function. I mean, they, they tried, they did it in Vietnam during the war. It's now public because it was declassified. So this is not like a conspiratory idea of any kind. I mean, it is just to show that the issue of manipulating the weather has been in the mind of military since long time. They, at the end of the 90s, the U.S. military made a report that is called Owning the Weather that was how to manipulate using different technologies, how to manipulate the weather as a war means. So this is like, historically, this is one problem. But the issue now is that if geoengineering really is deployed and there are powerful countries like Australia, like the US, like many others, like China, like others, if they can control how to manipulate the weather, this, of course, has an enormous weaponization risk, which is that this is used not only you know, for climate change, but also to cause damage to other countries. They're claiming that they're going to do um, widespread public consultation and obviously consultation with local Aboriginal groups, but there's over 70 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander groups with connections to the reef. So I would argue, well, there's absolutely no way that they've properly consulted those traditional owners. And that's one of the things that came out of the UN Convention on Biological Diversity discussions was that for any experiments like this, there needs to be prior informed consent from the local community and in any Indigenous groups. And I would argue that there's no way that that's happened in this case. And they've already started doing these experiments and they're planning to scale up next year and even more the year after. So it's deeply concerning that the Australian government's actually ignoring the current moratorium on geoengineering that was put in place in 2010 at the UN Convention on Biological Diversity. The main problem is that this is a set of very dangerous, high-risk technologies that will have negative side effects. And in the decision of the Convention on Biological Diversity, there is an exception for small-scale experiments but they had to be scientific research and also they have to be in a control setting. So what Australia just did is that without any discussion about 
you know, how this could affect other countries or even open seas. They did this experiment, probably thinking that they can consider this a small experiment, but it is not on a controlled setting because it was on open seas displayed over several kilometers. So this is in violation of the CBD for sure. The problem is that this is just the first experiment of a series of experiments that are planned without taking into account neither the environmental impacts they haven't said if they have done any environmental impact assessment or they haven't taken into account the consultation indigenous people, traditional owners. There are many indigenous communities related to the Great Barrier Reef. And even other, the public in, in Australia should have right to know more about this before this is carried on. So how can we stop it? I had a look through some of the literature from the project um, and they said that public support for the project was vital to it continuing. So I think that's where our strength is basically mobilising the public on this issue. At the moment, it's really sailed under the radar and mainstream environmental groups aren't really engaged on it. And I think they need to be because as the impacts of climate change continue to escalate in Australia, there's going to be more and more pressure coming from industry for these unproven techno fixes. And we really need to nip them in the bud and stand firm and not let these dangerous experiments go ahead in our environment. Have you heard of any other solar geoengineering projects or geoengineering projects planned in Australia? Well, actually, there's another one that's part of this project, which is they're talking about putting calcium carbonate crystals on top of the reef when it's clear. So that's basically chalk. It's what coral reefs are, are made of. So but they're talking about it's basically spreading on top as a kind of sunscreen, if you like, over the reef. And it just seems... It just seems really desperate that they're going to those attempts to try and protect the reef. I would really doubt that they could actually scale it up to a point where it would actually be technically feasible. I mean, the the reef's an absolutely massive structure. It goes for hundreds of kilometres. I don't think there's any way that they could scale it up to actually be a proper solution. And what we really need to be investing in is actual proven solutions to climate change rather than these experimental techno fixes. One of the other solutions that the government is funding is actually research into genetically modifying corals. So they're more heat resistant, which from (laughs) where do you even start with the potassium? You can tell that the people involved in this are engineers and not conservation biologists because that's such a dangerous to deliberately release genetically modified corals into the environment just seems willfully reckless. The impacts could be catastrophic. We simply don't know how those corals are going to interact with the corals that are already there and the rest of the ecosystem. So it just seems like really desperate last-ditch attempts when there's even solutions to climate change that we could be adopting. We'd really urge people to hop on our website, which is emergingtech.fo.org.au, and you can sign up for our newsletter and we'll keep you engaged in the campaign and let you know what you can do to help. This project is the first open-air experiment of solar radiation management on geoengineering, and this is the world first. It's not only in Australia. This has an impact encouraging others to use this kind of really high-risk, dangerous technologies. But it's also very concerning that among the technologies that this research group on the Great Barrier Reef is considering 
using ocean fertilization, which is a way of using iron, particularly to promote plankton blooms that could the theoretically absorb more carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And it was already a company in Australia, ONC, who attempted to do this. However, in this case, there is not only a moratorium on OSHA fertilization, this is additional to the one on geoengineering at the Convention on Biological Diversity. The Convention on Biological Diversity had a moratorium in 2008, but after that, the London Convention on Preventing Marine Pollution by Waste Dumping and Other Matters, uh, it's a long name, but it's about marine pollution, they modify the London Protocol, which is legally binding, to say that they want to ban ocean fertilization. And this is because of the many impacts that it could have. For instance, it will disrupt the marine food chain because you over-fertilize it in some places, but it also will cause anoxia, which is lack of oxygen in some parts of the ocean. So this is really like high-risk technologies, and it's a bit shocking that they are considered this in such fragile, delicate, and extremely rich environment as coral reefs, but in general in oceans. Most people doesn't know what this is. Most people doesn't, you know, barely have heard about geoengineering or these proposals related to the coral reefs. So I think that, uh, you know, both the people involved directly in the areas, in the case of these projects, but also for the public and the listeners now, we need first to be informed, to promote much more debate and to demand much more information before this proceeds. There is something called the Hands of Mother Earth campaign. It is by now around 200 organizations from 45 countries. And in this campaign, it's about precaution. It's about not letting these projects advance without a real discussion. Because we think that this is so dangerous that it could even make climate change worse, which is the reason why this is put forward. And also because of the weaponization risk and all that, we think it should be banned, really. But we understand that the main thing now is to respect the moratorium that is in place and also that for normal people is to ask on much more information on the risks, not only of these experiments, but the whole context. How is this connected? This, I think, uh, information, accountability, where the money comes from, so, you know, that the people can take a decision about it, and particularly the communities that may be most directly impacted that are related to the barrier reef. And ETC Group and the Hands of Mother Earth campaign, you can reach us through either the geoengineeringmonitor.org. That is a site that is specialized on geoengineering, on information on geoengineering, or you can look at our website at etcgroup.org and you will see the areas where we work and also ways of supporting our work if you want. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. 
Today on the show, we heard from Louise Sales at Friends of the Earth's Emerging Tech Project at foe.org.au. And Sylvia Ribeiro, who is the Latin America Director and Geoengineering Spokesperson at the International Tech Watch Organization, etc. Group at etcgroup.org talking about environmental safety and greenwashing concerns regarding ongoing open-air testing of a geoengineering technique known as cloud brightening on the Great Barrier Reef. You can find our Earth Matters podcast, including today's show, at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we'd love you to subscribe. And why not give us a review to help spread the word? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced with the support of 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Melbourne, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. You can also find us on your socials. And that's all for this week, so tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories. G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your dial. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellows learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Those people who have no land rights haven't got justice, but neither do those people who have land rights have justice. You're listening to Community Radio Network around Australia, brought to you by 3CR Community Radio. So stay tuned as we bring you news, live updates, music and interviews with Aboriginal people from around the country. The only free body we have is the Aboriginal government on the grassroots and the Aboriginal embassy on the lawns outside the old parliament house. We will not go away. And as that stone rests in that mountain, and as our spirit rests in this country and over this country, we will not go away. Neither shall our power pass. And that's here forever, until justice comes. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.